Hello, I'm Malcolm Parlett. In the first podcast on this channel, I described five different human capabilities or potentialities that humanity might take more seriously at a time of global crisis. Introduced more fully before, I'll simply remind you of what they are. The first human capability we've studied is that we can respond to changing situations and circumstances, which is obviously key to all successful problem-solving. Second, we can collaborate with others, also essential for our survival. The third refers to our creative function, our capacity to experiment at the border between the familiar and the unfamiliar. Fourth, we have the ability to self-recognise. That's reflect on our own behaviour and conditioning and notice the choices we are making. And fifth, there's our ability to draw upon our embodied nature as an organism that's reliant on sensations, feelings, needs and emotions as part of how we orientate ourselves in the world, stay healthy and recognise our being alive, vulnerable and resilient animals. The first podcast includes more extended descriptions of these. And my book, Future Sense, Five Explorations of Whole Intelligence for a World That's Waking Up, goes into them in depth. Why these capabilities are so important for humanity, both globally and individually. What needs to happen politically, with a small p, and in the personal realm of living well and how these topics converge as a single project. In the previous talk, as in the book, the five capabilities are presented separately. It helps to get a sense of each one. But they do not function independently. They work together, supporting each other, so that the whole really is greater than the sum of the parts. And it's this integrated whole, our whole intelligence as we call it, that takes centre stage in this podcast. The central belief that I and my colleagues have come to is that given our climate and sustainability crisis and the need for humanity to up its game, very considerably if we're to survive as a species, we need to act more intelligently, competently and capably. Those capabilities constitute a foundational resource that's shared across humanity. Whole intelligence is not something we have to invent from scratch. But we can enable more of it to come into play if we attend to it, encourage it in each other pool our insights and experience and realise how every human system can act more intelligently 
than it usually does. Now we are deliberately stretching the meaning of the word intelligence. At present, most people tend to equate it with thinking ability, logical analysis, success in chess playing and rational argument. We're not disparaging these kinds of human skillfulness. They're all are necessary. But concentrating on the cognitive realm, on intellectuality and the use of logic, skews our understanding of what human beings are capable of doing. It leaves out so many other kinds of human competence that contribute to people's overall performance and good practice. In elevating logical and intellectual skills into some kind of supreme position, we're in danger of neglecting the importance of many other skills, qualities and human gifts that we know are also indicative of human existence at its best and which contribute to our acting sensibly with grace, wisdom and style. In summary, we are questioning complacent assumptions that somehow academic excellence, brilliant thinking and links to machine intelligence will spearhead a successful response to the global crisis. We are suggesting that humanity needs a far broader frame of reference, a different take altogether regarding what being humanly competent entails and upon what we can most confidently rely. In my book, I describe how I first woke up to the necessity of changing conventional views regarding intelligence. I was talking to a stranger in my local pub in Oxford. He was an engineer who had just arrived by boat from London. I had lots of questions about his journey. But we soon discovered that we had weightier issues on our minds that particular summer's evening, namely the climate crisis, or global warming, as we referred to it at the time. Something has to happen, my companion suddenly interjected, visibly worked up and raising his voice. We can't go on like this. We need a whole cosmic change. We're paralysed. There's a job to do. Why aren't we doing it? What's wrong with us? What stops us from acting intelligently? It was this last question in particular that jolted me and influenced the course of my subsequent thinking. I imagined the engineer was alluding to the obvious shortfalls in basic wisdom and foresight, as demonstrated by successive governments' lack of urgency, the patchy collaboration with other countries that exists internationally, and the worldwide public inertia towards self-preservation of even our own species, let alone others. I thought about these limitations and avoidances afterwards. Were they actually about intelligence? Was this the right terminology? Well, 
My companion's question, what stops us from, suggested that in a common sense way, acting intelligently captured a global requirement too important to ignore. Given the word intelligence is in general use, I decided it was worth keeping, be it with the addition of the adjective whole. The more I thought about it, I realised that whole intelligence names something that could be a highly significant development. At least in English, we haven't had straightforward ways to talk meaningfully about an individual's or an organisation's or a government's overall quality of judgment, their integrity, mature sensibility and their grip in handling practical affairs. The term draws attention to the management of human projects and the extent to which those involved as leaders are effective and response-able. The ancient Greeks did have a term for practical wisdom in action. It was phronesis. This implies having both sound judgment and also excellence of character and habits. Sometimes it's translated as practical virtue. This is very close to what my colleagues and I are calling whole intelligence. In fact, the ancient Greeks went a little further. They proposed that using all of our talents and capabilities is a civic duty. And perhaps, we wonder, developing our whole intelligence is exactly what that is, a global civic duty. Our responsibility to future generations. Of course, the absence of the concepts and language of whole intelligence hasn't stopped people from commenting on levels of performance, organisational effectiveness or lack of it, especially in public institutions like the government. People have resorted to metaphors instead, coming up with images such as the wheels are coming off the bus. Or they talk of, thankfully, there were some adults in the room. Or they bemoan a key group's having no compass. These are telling metaphors from which I am choosing the more polite variety. But I also think we need a general concept in use that may stimulate more curiosity and more understanding about overall levels of competence across all kinds of human systems. A term that will help us to direct attention to areas where no terminology has existed hitherto. I believe the term we're proposing, whole intelligence, can serve this generative function, opening us to a different way of thinking that isn't moral philosophy or medical psychology 
It's not political thought, nor is it about the evolution of consciousness as such. But perhaps it's a little of all of these. The idea that we can become, in effect, a more capable, wiser, higher performing species is a very radical idea, which, if true, has vast implications for both public policy and especially for rethinking education and supporting mental health. In fact, we don't have to go back to the ancient Greeks to find forerunners of this mode of thinking. In essence, adding the word whole is simply to reclaim a standard view of intelligence that existed at least from the 16th to the early 20th century. For over 300 years, an intelligent person meant someone who was knowing, sensible and sagacious, able to act wisely and with forethought. This definition fell out of favour early in the last century because it was too broad for the emerging profession of psychology. Early academic psychologists, keen for their subject to be considered a science, chose to study only what could be quantified. The subsequent narrowing of meaning of intelligence, to being clever, smart, quick-thinking and so on, happened alongside the development of intelligence tests with easily scored items, and which resulted in a number, the famous intelligence quotient, or IQ. This was a significant reduction in meaning. But there's always been a snag. There's very little evidence that IQ predicts which people and which systems will act wisely and with good judgment especially in real-life conditions often requiring multidimensional problem-solving, effective team-working and evidence of psychological maturity on the part of leaders. The more recent importation of emotional intelligence and the EQ and lists of other intelligences do help Somewhat, but we don't think go far enough. What's needed is a paradigm level of shift to a truly holistic and integrated understanding of human capability in the round. What contributes to high performance and what degrades, diminishes, undermines or prevents our human capabilities from flourishing. When my colleagues and I, working internationally, speak publicly about whole intelligence, we find that audiences catch on immediately. They grasp quickly that we're naming something that's familiar and makes sense to them, but for which there hasn't been a way of talking about it before.
I suggest that human recognition of whole intelligence, even before the concept's been introduced, is highly significant. Recognizing it seems to happen at a visceral or pre-conscious level. It seems we are holistically sensitized to the presence of whole intelligence and its absence. To varying degrees, it is always observable. We can witness numerous examples of it in the everyday interplay of functioning human lives, in community events, in team leadership, or in organisational meetings. Thus, when someone is identified as quietly working their socks off on behalf of an important task, really getting what needs to be done and making sure it does get done, or when a team is working as an efficient unit with high morale and shared good spirits, we have this subliminal recognition of whole intelligence being enacted. At such times, we resonate to what we witness. It's as if we're naturally wired when seeing people acting with whole intelligence to have good feelings ourselves. Collectively, morale is affected. It goes up. And those particularly exciting events, like when a potholing rescue team has overcome incredible obstacles in order to save children's lives, or an endangered species has been saved from extinction through some bold team initiative, what we register and resonate to can be truly inspiring. We are affected profoundly by witnessing humanity at its committed, public-spirited best. And we feel more confident about the future of our species. In a similarly physical way, the opposite effects can also occur. When we observe blunders and cover-ups, good advice ignored, failures of imagination, corrupt behaviour or conspicuous arrogance, especially when linked to outright stupidity or inconsistency of messaging, there are often widespread feelings of letdown. We may be triggered into feeling cynical, dispirited or angry and we end up less confident about the future of the human species. Given these bodily sensibilities and our exposure every day to examples of people acting with varying degrees of all-round competence and good sense, there's potential for all of us to become attuned observers of whole intelligence, its presence and its absence, and all the degrees between the two. The five capabilities serve as key dimensions of it, and with these in mind, we can build on our basic intuitive resonating 
to achieve further understanding of whole intelligence in practice. And then we can also discover about whole intelligence by investigating our own. We soon realise that performing at our best and acting competently have to be considered in their complex entirety. Not least because we know how we can vary enormously from day to day and from situation to situation. What's revealed when we self-recognise our state of body, mind and soul is that we are integrated beings who joined up lives. Like we have an inner ecology that is affected by multiple influences, both inner and outer. Whether we perform to our best ability or not may be affected by such diverse factors as our present level of self-esteem, exposure to supportive or dismissive feedback, memories of how we performed in the past, and the specific expectations of the communities and networks of which we are part. The situational elements and our long-term habitual tendencies both affect our present availability to function well. This includes how well we are able to reason, strategize, and use our wits, the extent to which we reflect and understand, take a long view, or imagine a different future in dialogue with others. Our access to whole intelligence is a product of the whole ecosystem of our lived life. Before ending, I need to say this. My colleagues and I may believe that whole intelligence is a workable foundational concept, but that may not convince others. Some listeners to this may consider whole intelligence too amorphous and difficult to pin down for your taste. But recourse to exact definitions, categories and measurements is not the only criterion of worth. We already have in the currency of our language many important general notions that are impossible to quantify. Beauty, for instance, or balance, or even love. We still need such words, poetic and durable, for their general usefulness. They're essential human qualities. They can serve as summary terms and point to directions of travel. We would like to think that whole intelligence is a similar term. Elusive, perhaps, but useful, and aiding and abetting more sanity in our troubled but evolving world. Our hope, too, is that claiming greater wholeness for intelligence will reinforce other steps towards creating wholeness in practice. We're thinking of the need for us to build a more whole society, inclusive, just and equitable,
that treats people fairly. Also, there's a need for other holistic steps, such as bringing together constituencies of thought that often develop separately, like sustainability and high finance. Finally, the ultimate rationale for our work on whole intelligence strikes back to acknowledging the global crises that human beings face. Rather than another message of threat and disaster, we want to capture a sense of adventure and world-changing possibility. It's in this spirit that we want to support human beings' potential to act intelligently, more frequently and more sustainably. We need to extend the range of our human capabilities and show that many who've been discounted for not being sufficiently intellectually gifted may well be embodying whole intelligence in other impressive ways. We need to wake up to and celebrate the full complement of our strengths and talents already in play or still latent and to be uncovered. And returning to my engineer companion in the pub, we not only want to be able to answer his question, what stops us from acting intelligently, but also to show that acting intelligently lies definitely within the human grasp. And what applies individually also applies to the global village as a whole. Thank you for listening.